This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Father, we want to just um, we will want to just ask for your continued presence. God, I pray that your word would be anointed today. Lord, just take it way beyond me. Lord, that it would not be just a sermon, but it would be a message from you. God, let your word be powerful to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The book we're digging into today is the Old Testament book of Haggai. And and if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, I've heard of Haggai. Where is it in the Bible? And so let me just help you out here. It's after Zephaniah and before Zechariah. So you ought to be able to turn right to it. Or, or maybe... Um, just go to the last book of the Old Testament and go left about three books and you'll find it. And, and, and this really doesn't matter. But speaking of Haggai, the preferred, I looked this up, the most correct pronunciation is actually Haggai. Uh, the circles where I was raised in Bible college, whatever, is more Haggai. I've even heard it said uh, Haggai. Uh, but Haggai is preferred, secondary Haggai, and I'll probably just pronounce it three or four different ways, and it really doesn't matter. So just as long as you read the book and study the book, um, that's what's important. Now, the prophet Haggai was considered a minor prophet. Now, in the, in the Bible, you have Old Testament books that are called major prophets, and then you have books that are called minor prophets. Haggai was a minor prophet, and, and someone said, you know, poor Haggai never made it to the major leagues. He just stayed in the minors. And I know that's a really bad joke, and some of you didn't even catch it. But the, the reason that the minor prophets are called minor is not because their content was minor, but simply because the books were a little bit shorter, and the focus was a little bit more narrow. But the minor prophets are just as important as the major prophets. Now, to get us thinking in the right direction, let me give you a few scenarios that I think will help pave the way for our thoughts. And these are some scenarios that I think you can relate to, or, or at least uh, relate to one or, or, or two of these scenarios. Um, I believe it's safe to say that every one of us, we all come to seasons or a particular season in our life where the realization hits us um, you know what? We thought things would be better than they really are at this stage in life. We, we become a little bit disenchanted. You know, for example, some of you may be at an age where, where you thought by now you would have not just a job, but you would have a career with, with you know, benefits and retirement and, and insurance. And instead, you're still working a job with hourly wages. You're just barely making it. And, and you thought by now you would be beyond that. There are others here that may be at an age or a stage where you thought that you would be married, but, but you're not, and, and there seems to be no one on the horizon. Or, or maybe some of you are married, but, but you thought you envisioned marriage to be this, this wonderful experience where you would live happily ever after. But it's miserable in your marriage. And, and you've discovered that a miserable marriage is worse than being single. And those of you that are here, would you please raise your hands? No, don't do that, okay? Not wise. And then perhaps some of you thought that when the kids came along, they would fill that emptiness in your life. And, and they did fill it to a certain extent, but they also filled it 
with a lot of stress. And, um, you, you know, right now you're, you're, you're strapped financially. You're, you're trying to, you know, maybe support a grown kid or whatever. And, and, and so there, there is just a, uh, a challenge there. And then there may be a few of you where, where, where you've reached a stage where your kids are married and, and you've got sweet grandbabies and you've got a little bit of a nest egg to do some fun things, but now you find yourself needing to care for aging parents. And, and even though you feel it's a privilege to do that, and it certainly is, but yet at times it can bring stress into your life. Now, I realize that I just killed the service, but, but put together all of these emotions into one basket and, and you pretty much had the mood of the Israelites at the time that the book of Haggai was written. Because the Israelites were, were thinking that as God's chosen people, everything about their lives would be good and, and the kids and the grandkids would have a bright future. But that was far from the reality. Now, let me give you some history to tell you how the Israelites had gotten there. During the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, he began construction of the temple of God. And and this was to be a temple that was to be more glorious and magnificent than you could ever imagine. And after it was completed, it was marvelous. And they, they said that people from all across the world traveled to see this amazing work of engineering, amazing work of construction. But then King Solomon died. And what happened is what happens to many of us. Uh, You know, the people not only became casual in their relationship with God, but they began to stray away and worship idols. Well, because of that, as God so often does, He allowed a series of events to take place in order to bring the people's hearts back to Himself. In 587 B.C., Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in and, and they completely crushed Israel's southern kingdom of Judah. And not only did they destroy the city, but to add insult to to injury, they demolished the amazing temple that had been built by King Solomon. And that was bad enough in itself. But but, but the temple had become the, the source of their spiritual identity. And so when the temple was destroyed, they lost their spiritual identity. Well, as a result of this, the Jewish people were taken away into captivity for 50 years. And and technically it was 70 years because they had already been held captive for, for 20 years before the temple was destroyed. But after the temple was destroyed, they were taken into captivity for 50 years. Now, we often read about this captivity and... and uh, You know, many times we don't quite comprehend the implications. We think, yeah, you know, poor people, too bad, so sad. This had to be a really hard time for the country. But let me try to help you understand the reality. Let's say that an enemy nation becomes a massive nuclear power. And they come to our president and they say, okay, we're going to take our nukes. And and we're going to take out Washington, D.C., New York City, and... In other major metropolis areas, such as Eldorado Springs and Shell City and Collins, etc. But not only that, if you don't surrender to us, we will also take out the major cities of your ally countries. Okay, let's say that the president and his cabinet, Congress, they have an emergency meeting and, and they consider the options and they say, well, we have the nukes to retaliate. We could literally send planet earth up in a puff of smoke but that would be the end of human human civilization as we know it 
Well, believe it or not, and this is miraculous, but the president and Congress are actually united for a change. And they feel the best option is for them to surrender to this enemy nation in hopes that they will show us some mercy. So the president raises the white flag of surrender. Well, what happens is that immediately this enemy nation takes over our country and we're no longer the United States of America. We're just an extension of that enemy nation. And and a majority of us are taken away to a faraway country and we become slaves and we're no longer free to travel. We're no longer free to elect officials to govern us. We no longer have a voice. We're no longer free to worship as we want. We go into a period of bondage that lasts 50 years. Now, that scenario right there gives us an understanding or at least a partial understanding of what the country of Judah went through when they became captives because they lost their land, they lost their freedom, they lost their spiritual identity. Well, imagine the relief and the good news when in 538 B.C., five decades later, about 50,000 people were allowed to travel back to Jerusalem. And as they went back, The first thing on their agenda was to rebuild the temple. They knew they needed to reestablish their spiritual identity with God, Jehovah. And so with great excitement, they began the work. They they began to pour the foundation for the walls of the temple. They, They started working on the altar where they could offer sacrifices. But then something happened. There began to be opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. The Samaritans came in and and they began to oppose and harass them and, and try to stop this building project. So how do you think the Israelites responded? Well, they responded like most of us would have responded. They stopped working. And they said, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. You know, if this project would have been on the Lord, of the Lord, everything would have just fallen into place. But since we've encountered this opposition, then I guess it's not meant to be. Can I just ask you a question this morning? And I want you to be honest in your own mind. How many of you have used this same philosophy? Let's just say you started helping in our kids' department. You got a little bit of criticism or opposition or maybe during one of the classes the kids were extra wild and I can't imagine that ever happening, but maybe on occasion it might happen. And you said, you know, here I am trying to help with the kids and and they're being so disrespectful and I don't want to take this anymore. I don't have to do it. I guess it just wasn't meant for me to help. Because if it would have been of the Lord, it would have been easy. Tragically, many of us determine God's will by how easy or how hard it is. For example, when, uh, when you go to buy a house or do whatever, can I just really say this? I pray that the Holy Spirit would help me as I try to un- unpack this lesson here, but just become just because it comes together does not always mean it's God's will. If buying the house or the car or whatever puts you in a financial bind, it's probably not of the Lord even if it came together. 
And by the same token, when you go to do something for the Lord and, you know, lead a class or drive the bus on Wednesday nights and, and you encounter some criticism or some rowdy kids or some cranky adults. Honestly, that's some of the worst problems we get, I think, would be cranky adults. But that doesn't always mean that it's not of God. And I want you to remember the statement, maybe write this down in your notes. Doing what is easy is not always right. And doing what is right is not always easy. So the Jewish people were met with some opposition and they stopped working on the temple. And and listen, for 14 long years, they didn't pick up a single tool to do any work on the temple. But what's interesting is that while they were still in captivity, that's all they could think about. They thought, we need our spiritual identity. As as soon as we get back, we're going to build a temple for God. But when they got a little bit of opposition, they said, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. And instead of working on God's house, do you know what they did? They began working on their own houses, which was not a big deal, but... We will read in a moment where the Bible says they, they were building elaborate, luxurious homes for themselves. And, and again, that wasn't so bad. But what was bad was that they abandoned working on the temple of God. And, and, and back then, that was their spiritual identity. Well, that's kind of a long introduction. But that was the setting when God raised up the prophet Haggai to call the people back to rebuild the temple of God. So let's begin our reading with Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll do a responsive reading, let you read the hard verse, not really. But just look at that, and it's got hard names. I'll just kind of let you read it silently. We've got the king, we've got the prophet, we've got the governor, we've got the high priest. And then verse 2 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, The people, pay attention to that, The people are saying, The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, the temple. Now, this cracks me up because God refers to them as the people. And, and almost everywhere else in the Old Testament, when God refers to his people, he talks about my people, my people, my people. But in this case, God did what my wife used to say to me when our kids were bad. She would say, Joe, your daughters did this. And so God says, the people, they're not acting like my people, but the people... They're saying this is not the right time to rebuild the temple. Because again, they felt that if something didn't come easy, surely God couldn't be in it. Now, let me clarify this because I I, I think I need to. God can and does use opposition to slow us down at times. But many times the opposition we face doesn't come from God. It, It comes from Satan. And so opposition could be a sign that we're doing what God wants us to do. And that's why when you're in leadership, when you're in ministry, when you teach, help with the kids, you should always expect to have some opposition. In fact, you should really worry if you don't have any opposition because rarely will God do anything great through us without some opposition. You know, I've heard pastors kind of brag and and they'll say, well, my, my church had a pastoral vote and I got a unanimous vote. In fact, I heard one pastor say, you know what? In all the years, and he'd been pastoring 30, 40 years, he said, never once have I had an opposing vote. And, and, and that makes a pastor feel good. But a unanimous vote isn't always a compliment. Because if we're doing 
anything great for God, there will almost always be some form of, of, of opposition. The, the moment you become obedient to what God has called you to do, mark it down, there will be spiritual opposition. I mean, don't think that when you say yes to Jesus that everything will just automatically and easily fall into place. Don't think that everyone will always love you. Some people won't like your style. They won't like your mannerisms. They won't like your grammar. You won't be liked by everyone. So, so don't make a decision on whether or not it's easy and just falls into place. Here's a little rule of thumb to keep us all on track, and you might also want to write this down. When it comes to determining a course of action, always choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Could we just lose that, that, that statement that we have used? You know, when we encounter problems, uh, we say, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. Could we lose that from our vocabulary? Always choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Don't make decisions based on ease or lack of ease. And this principle should be carried over into all areas of our lives. You know, when someone hurts your feelings, what's the easiest and most natural response? Number one, shoot back, hurt their feelings. You know, I'll tell them, I'll give them a piece of my mind. But, but you know, the second natural response is to ignore them. You see them coming, you go the other way. Turn your head. When someone hurts you, choose the hard right over the easy wrong and forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. When the easy thing is to spend more than what you have, choose the hard right to live within your means. Now, I know I'm going anti-cultural here. Or when the easy thing is to buy whatever, because you do have plenty of money, choose the hard right and spend money according to principles of good stewardship. Did you know this? Just because you have the money doesn't mean that you should always buy it. doesn't mean that it's always right, even if you can afford it. You know, always ask these questions. Is it necessary? <laughs> you know what? A, a week ago this past Friday, we had a flood in our basement, and it wasn't the rain. It was one of those frost-free, uh, you know, hydrants that's not supposed to freeze over the winter. Well, it did... It did freeze. I don't know what happened. There was no hose attached to it. but And so I was using it uh, a week ago and trying to wash some stuff outside. And I was getting plenty of water outside, but I didn't realize I was getting plenty of water inside. And so when I came in an hour or two later, squish, squish, and we had a mess. We've been working all week long, uh, just the sheetrock and the seal plate. I mean, it's, it's just a mess. And... Um, but what this has caused me to realize is we 
have so much junk. And it's caused us to clean out a lot of junk. And I think a lot of us as Americans, we're that way. You know what? You know, it doesn't cost very much. We can afford it. I'm getting my income taxes back. And so we tend, we tend to, if we've got the money, or even if we don't have the money, we tend to buy it if we want it. So ask the question, is it necessary? Is it good stewardship? Would the Lord approve of this? Or how about this scenario? When the easy way out is to not say anything to your friend or relative that's destroying his or her life, choose the hard right and get out of your comfort zone and go to them and say, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm going to get in your face here. But I love you too much to just watch you self-destruct. And so I'm going to get involved in your life to help you. And I wonder if there are some of us here today, you know, we've quit something because we got a little bit of opposition, a little bit of criticism, or we got tired, or going got tough, or we felt like we've served our time. Maybe we need to quit taking the easy wrong and choose the hard right. Thank you for all of those amens. Let's continue reading. Uh, we've read verse 2. This is what the Lord says. Uh, people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, the temple. So the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I love this. Consider how things are going for you. It's almost as if God is saying, okay, you're spending a lot of money to build your luxurious houses while the temple lies in ruins. And so God says, let me know how that works out for you. I mean, now you've got granite countertops. You've got the biggest televisions around. You've got smart homes where everything is controlled by your phone. You've got the latest of everything. But God says, let me know how that focus is working out for you. And by the way, just for clarification, God is not against our having nice things. He just doesn't want nice things to have us. You see the difference? It's okay to have wealth. But it's not okay when wealth has us. And so maybe we need to just pause a moment and ask ourselves some really convicting questions. And I'll admit, two or three times this week while I was studying and praying in my office... I had to just bow my head. I'd ask God to help me and to forgive me. But ask yourself these questions. Are you putting your own comfort ahead of his calling? In other words, you're not helping in a ministry simply because you don't want to be tied down. You don't want to have to commit. You want to be free to do your own thing. How about this question? Are you spending more money to keep you comfortable than you are on God's kingdom? Are you spending more money on your house than God's house? Are you trying to make a name more than you're trying to make a difference? And this one got me. Are you more consumed with you than being consumed with him? 
Now you understand why those questions were so convicting for me in my office. Well, the next few verses in Scripture, honestly, are very revealing because they reveal the fact that in the approximately 2,500 years since the book of Haggai, Haggai was lived until today, things have changed so little. Let's, let's find out how in verse 6. You've planted much, but harvested little. You have food to eat, but not enough to fill you up. You have wine to drink, but not enough to satisfy your thirst. You've got clothing to wear, but not enough to keep you warm. And let's see if you can relate to this. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Can anybody relate to that? Let's skip down to verse 9. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord Almighty. While you are all busy building your own fine houses, that's why the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and the grapes and the olives and all your other crops, a drought to starve both you and your cattle, to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. So can I put this in plain Cedar County language? It's like God is saying, okay, you are working your tail off, but you still can't get ahead. You're making more money than you've ever made before, but you have nothing to show for it. Where's all of your money going? It's like you're putting your money in pockets that are filled with holes. So God graciously and lovingly gives the Israelites some simple instructions to help them get jump-started on rebuilding the temple again. That's what I love. You know, about God's word, it doesn't just heap a bunch of condemnation on us and we get stuck, say, well, I wonder what we should do. He gives them specific instructions. Let's jump back to those two verses that we skipped, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Notice this phrase again. Consider how things are going for you. Let me know how that goes. How is focusing on yourself instead of on God working out for you? Verse 8. Now pay attention. Go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So God gives his instructions into three simple steps. Number one, go up into the hills, or the translation say the mountains. Number two, get some timber, bring it down. Number three, rebuild my house. Let me say it again in case you missed it. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, rebuild my house. Now, since, you know, these instructions are so complicated, some of you didn't get it. Let me say it again. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, build my house. God gives his people Steps one, two, and three. But here's the problem. We, we say, oh, God, you gave steps one, two, and three, but what about steps four, five, and six? You know my personality. You know, I'm an OCD. I'm very organized. I want to know the entire plan. Of I need to know all the details. Like, who's going to pay for this? Uh, God, who's going to provide the chainsaws? Um, God... Can I count this off of my tithe? How about a tax write-off? And God, 
This is really important to me. Will I get my name on a little plaque in the foyer of the new temple because I worked on this? You know, God kept it simple. He said, don't worry about a bunch of what ifs. Steps one, two, and three. Go up to the mountains. Bring the timber down. Rebuild my house. Keep it simple. You know, the Bible says that the word is a lamp unto my feet. Now, a lamp is only bright enough to help us see, you know, one or two or maybe three steps ahead of us. It's not like a two million candle power light that will shine a mile in front of us. A lamp is bright enough to help us see steps one, two, three, and and then one, two, three. When we get to step three, we then see steps four, five, and six. Which means this. As we do what God shows us, then at the right time, He will reveal more of His will to us. Obedience brings more direction. I think sometimes we get stuck and we're saying, oh, you know, I I want to know the plan, the big plan. Well, God's already given us steps one, two, and three, but we haven't taken those steps. He's wanting us to obey Him. How does that play out into everyday life? Well, you say, my marriage isn't very good and I'm not sure what to do about it. Well, steps one, two, and three, humble yourself. Apologize for what you've done wrong. Put your spouse first. Quit trying to manipulate and control everything. You say, I would never do that. Yeah, most controllers never recognize that in themselves. In honor, prefer one another. And then after that, you can worry about steps four, five, and six. You say, well, someone hurt me, and ever since then, my relationship with them has been strained. Okay, steps one, two, and three, take the initiative and humbly go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them, talk with them, pray with them. And you say, well, what if they don't change? You're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the obedience. And most of the time, when we obey and go and humbly talk to someone, guess what? Most of the time, it's going to be fixed up. You say, well, Joe, I have an addiction that's been plaguing me for a long time. Okay, steps one, two, and three. Confess that sin to God. Find someone that you trust. Ask them for help and experience freedom. Some of you, you need Christian community. I mean, you need it. You need it. So take the initiative and quit worrying about the fact that someone didn't speak to you or invite you or pay attention to you. Get involved in some Acts chapter 2. We call them life groups. Steps 1, 2, and 3. You know, find a group that fits. Attend the group faithfully and be open to doing life with others in the family of God. You say, well, pastor, I just really want to be closer to God. Okay, steps 1, 2, and 3. Make sure there's no unconfessing in your life. Make sure you're spending time with God. Make sure you're walking in obedience. And then God will give you steps four, five, and six. You know, I have a feeling that some of us, we need to just quit worrying about so many details. And we need to begin walking by the Spirit instead of walking by sight. 
We need to quit trying to do what's logical. Just walk by the Spirit. Just obey the Spirit. And there may be a few of us here today that we need to quit talking and start doing. There may be a few here that need to quit thinking and just start acting. You know, we need to go up to the mountain, bring the timber down, and start doing what God has asked us to do. So let me just uh, try to wrap it up with this thought. The people of Israel fell into disobedience. And so the book of Haggai, or Haggai, was a call from God to this man to help bring the children of Israel back to himself. Don't make God send a Haggai into your life. Because I'll warn you, if you reach that point where you've strayed so far to where, away to where God has to raise up a Haggai to come to you, it's going to be painful. So, if you're in disobedience right now, would you just go up to the mountain? Bring down the timber, rebuild what is broken. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Now, I know that I know that when we put this into practice, things will change drastically for some of us. I think there used to be a, a saying, footloose and fancy free. I don't know what that means. I've heard it. You know, that's, that's what Americans like to be, is just, you know, kind of just chill and do our own thing, want to be free so that we can pick up and go to Branson or pick up and do this. We don't want to be tied down. We don't want to be committed to anybody. We don't want to be discipling anybody. We don't want to be in a ministry because, you know what, we're just active people. We like to get away. But you know, whenever we come to the point of saying, okay, God, I'm serious about serving you and I'm serious about rebuilding, you know, the temple, I believe God will ask us to make some changes in our lives. So during our closing prayer today, let me just, I guess, ask you what area of disobedience is there in your life right now? What area of disobedience is in your life right now? And as you identify that, would you just take those steps, steps one, two, and three, to deal with those things and ask God to cleanse you. Take the steps to see those areas healed. Would you just bow your heads, please? Before we pray, is there anybody that would say, Joe, God has spoken to me today about an area. Would you just pray for me? Anybody? Lift a hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Your hand and yours. Yours. And yours. And yours. Thank you. I don't know what God has planned for today, but would you just stand right now? Just stand to your feet and... Maybe there's someone here, you want to just come and say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this right now. And 
I know it's kind of embarrassing. It shouldn't be, but I want to just come forward and kneel here at the steps and and just commit myself to God's plan. Before we pray, is there anybody that would like to do that? want to come, you just want to consecrate yourself to the Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for this obscure book in in your word. Lord, it's certainly not minor as far as the content. Father, I pray that, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to obey you. God, I know that all of us from time to time, there will be some area of disobedience that will come up. The Holy Spirit will shine His divine flashlight into our lives. And and God, I pray that we would be so quick to confess, Lord, that we would just simply obey. Lord, it was pretty serious business whenever you called Haggai to come and try to wake up the Israelites and cause them to rebuild their spiritual identity. Lord, if we're just really stubborn and hard-headed, I guess, Lord, we give you permission to send a Haggai into our lives. Lord, someone that will be kind of a hard-hitter, someone that may get in our face, someone that might help us to get back on track. Lord, I pray for all of those people that raise their hands and that recognize that things are not quite right and Lord I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would just deal with them steps one two and three go to the mountains bring down the timber rebuild and Lord that this week there would just be a whole lot of rebuilding that would be going on in our hearts and lives and Lord especially as we come up to Easter our Easter celebration I pray that Lord you would do something special in our hearts and lives this Easter Help us to be in the right place where we can really celebrate. So, Lord, right now I want to pray a blessing upon these wonderful people. And as we go from here, God, let us us do what is right. The hard right over the easy wrong. Give us strength, the power to do what is right. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen and amen. Thank you for coming. God bless you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.